Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. As you know, we're in a years-long sermon series that's entitled The Kingdom of God. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth in Charlottesville in my life as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A week ago tonight, three UVA student-athletes were killed as the events of their deaths has been made known to us. It has become more and more soul-wrenching and heartbreaking. When I received the news, I sent out texts to colleagues of mine who serve specifically on grounds and with the athletes at UVA. What was also amazing to me is how many texts I received from people here at City, as well as friends and colleagues of mine from around the country, that they are praying and will continue to pray for our community and stand with us in prayer as Jesus followers that somehow, some way, God will do what God always does when he's invited into tragedy. He will turn evil for good. As we met as a pastoral team and prayerfully looked at the events that had taken place and prayerfully and thoughtfully looked at this Sunday morning, we do what Jesus followers always do, and we did that together for two days. We looked to the text, we looked into Scripture to find our bearings and our moorings during a stormy time. When we exited that time, there were three passages of Scripture that our team coalesced around as we looked at these events. What was amazing to me is yesterday afternoon and evening, as my wife and I, Fran, were at the John Paul Jones Arena to participate with the memorial service for these three student-athletes, Dr. Carla Williams, the athletic director at UVA, stood up and read a verse that is important to her. John chapter 11, and it's the verse that deals with and is the center of the story of the death of Lazarus and his resuscitation from the dead. It was at that moment that I knew that that passage would be the one that I would preach on this morning. That the other two that we had talked about as a pastoral team would be left out. And I'm sure you're grateful for that because a sermon does not have to be everlasting to be eternal. One thing that came to mind for me as I was studying the text last night and this morning or more deeply was that it's the first time in the Gospel of John where it tells us definitively that Jesus as a person loved another person. 
And as I studied more, it struck me that it's also the first time in the Gospel of John in chapter 11 where there is someone who is dead. Isn't it interesting that human love and death always go together? They do. And my prayer is, is that if you have turtled up in life emotionally because of grief or pain, that this morning would be the morning where you unturtle your life and you take the step of faith to trust God to love again and to be loved again. Because I will tell you that love and pain and death always go together. And they did in the life of Jesus as well. And so understanding that this is the first time in the Gospel of John that love and death are in the text and Jesus is presented to us as fully human in the Gospel of John as well as fully God. With that in mind, I would like us to read John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to skip some verses and pick up the reading in 17 through 37. I'm going to read more text than I normally do, but we need to get our bearings into the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Here's our text. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who had poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. It's interesting to note that event happens after this story in the Gospel of John, not before. Reading on, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The Gospel of John always presents Jesus to us as being fully human, and they knew him that way. And they said, Jesus... The one you love, Lazarus, he's not well. And then we skip to verse 17. Jesus comforts the sisters of Lazarus. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort her in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Isn't it interesting that even sisters don't respond the same with grief? They had different responses. Reading on, the text says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, She said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. 
when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She said the exact same thing as her sister. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come also with her, along with her were weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then everyone's favorite memory verse from the New Testament, because it's the shortest. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. They could see the love that Jesus had for Lazarus. Jesus is fully God, but fully human. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then the story goes on with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. The text tells us a powerful, highly emotive story. That's how death always is. And the text teaches us that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. As I read that verse, I thought about some of the things my wife has taught me about grief. My wife serves part-time here at the church, and one of the things she's invested herself in is the study of grief and helping other people process through their grief through a course called Grief Share. But one of the things she always says is that we all grieve differently. Isn't it interesting to note that Martha goes out to meet Jesus, but Mary stays at home? Neither one of those are wrong. They're both right. But here's what I do know. You must grieve. Any counselor will tell you that if you do not grieve and you bottle it in, it will come out, but in exceptionally unhealthy ways. Here's another thing I've learned after many years of pastoral ministry is that when grief comes out, it's not always pretty. I made a simple pastoral rule for myself after doing a couple of funerals many, many years ago, and that is, is to give people extra grace during grief because anger is one of the stages of grief. I've had people say things to me at a graveside that no one should ever say to another person. But what I know is in grief, people need extra grace. And I've never judged them for it. What I want to do now is pause and to pray over all of us. I want to pray over all of us because this event may not have affected you that much, but all of us face grief. And so would you take a moment to close your eyes? Whether you're grieving because of this event or you've got grief in your history, and death and loss. I want to pray over all of us. God, I lift up to you everyone that calls City Church their home. Those who are worshiping with us online, those who are here in the sanctuary, God, please touch my heart and the hearts of all of us. I pray over those who are stuck in their grief. I ask you that by your presence and with your spirit, 
you would invest yourself in the midst of the dark night of the soul, and you would bring light into darkness and hope into despair and peace into the midst of the storm. Jesus, thank you that in your inaugural sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, you announce, blessed are those who mourn, because loving and mourning go together. Jesus, meet us in Christ's name. Amen. As we read in our story, it's interesting to note that Mary and Martha say the exact same thing when they meet Jesus. Although their response has been different, what they say is identical. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In verse 32, when Mary saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing. But it's interesting to note, the text teaches us that in response to that, Jesus weeps. John 11.35 says, Jesus wept. He weeps. The reality of it is maturing in our faith is coming to recognize that Jesus doesn't always do what we want him to do. Both sisters say the same thing. Jesus, if you'd have been here, you would have prevented this. But Jesus didn't. Because maybe there's something deeper than preventing all suffering for every person. Maybe it is when there's a God who invests himself in the suffering of this world. I know in my own life I've faced episodes that I would have never signed up for. But I found Jesus was there. Not in the ways I always wanted him to be, but he was always there. In this text, we find that Jesus weeps. The biblical story alludes to why he's weeping. It's because there's other people weeping. One of the things I'll confess to you about myself is when my wife cries, I cry. Sometimes I figure out later why we are crying. But there's something about gathering together to grieve. It's healthy. It's good. Isolation and grief never ends well. But I wonder why Jesus wept. I've spent a lot of time thinking about those two words. Jesus wept. Maybe it's because of death and suffering in the world. I'm sure that's part of it. I also believe... It's because Jesus was fully human. And how could you go to the funeral of an untimely death and not be moved? But here's what I know for sure about my own faith. If Jesus had not wept, I would not be a Christian. I want no part of a God who knows nothing of human suffering. I don't want to follow a God who doesn't know. But the miracle of the incarnation, which we will step into next Sunday as we move into the Advent season, I'm a Christian because there's a God who suffered personally 
as a human being. Didn't back away from the suffering, didn't deny the suffering, but stepped into it fully. As a preteen boy walking across the wheat field, I'd heard a sermon about the suffering of Jesus. And because of that, I accepted him as the God of my life. Because I'd seen a lot of suffering and a lot of heartache and disappointment in my life. And I want a God who knows. God stepped into this world as fully human, and he wept. The reality of it is, I believed he wept because he was fully God, and being fully God, he knows better than anyone else that death and suffering and sin are unbelievably destructive and painful. I believe he wept because he was fully man. And he knows that every person facing death will stand before him. Some will ask him to join them in grief. Others will push him away. I wonder if one of the reasons why he wept is because there were those that will push him away because of grief instead of inviting him in. But the text is clear in John chapter 11, verses 35 through 37. It says, Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? There it is again. If Jesus really loves me, he will do X, Y, or Z. Let's put it this way, if Jesus really loves me, could he not have kept fill in the blank in your own life from happening? If Jesus really loves me, then why did my parents get divorced? If Jesus really loves me, why did that person whom I love die so young? If Jesus really loves me, could he not have kept put whatever you want in the blank? from happening. I could put things from my own life in there. In times of my own weakness of faith, I play the mental math on how I would be God if I could. But I always come back to the same thing. One thing I know is that we serve a God who knows. We serve a God who stepped into human history and suffered horrifically. I serve a God who knows. But it's clear to me in the biblical story, Jesus is not here to take away all or every painful reality from your life and mine. But he is willing to be with us in the middle of it if we will invite him. How do we put feet to our faith with this powerful story? John eleven three. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The first step in putting feet to your faith is admitting that you're not big enough, strong enough, or smart enough to do life alone, but that you need God. That's what Martha did and Mary did. They sent word to Jesus, we are up against something that's bigger than us. My prayer is, is that every single person that's grieving in this moment because of the tragedy on grounds at UVA 
would do what Mary and Martha did. That is send a message to Jesus. Jesus, please do something. Will you come and be with me? My prayer is that all of us would do that. Whether kneeling by your bed tonight in your dorm room, taking a walk this afternoon in the beautiful sun, or dealing with a broken heart, that if you've never done this, that you would, that you would invite Jesus, and that you would invite him with all of your life, all of your heart, and all of your faith. He always responds. Here's the other thing that came to mind for me. They said to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick, and they love Lazarus too. And in pastoral ministry, here's what I've observed, that if you love something, anything, it is a doorway, no matter how slightly open, that God will use. If you love sports, God will use it. If you love a friend, God will use it. If you love a pet, God will use it. Whatever it is that you love, it means your heart is open and God will use that cracked door to usher in his kingdom. The only love God can't use is if you only love yourself. So in her remarks, Dr. Carla Williams quoted the text from the Gospel of John chapter 11. This passage of Scripture literarily and literally is the center of this story. I'll talk about literarily in a moment. Here was her quote. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You see, literarily and literally, the center of the story is this phrase. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. For those of you who like to go more deeper biblically, I'd encourage you to Google John chapter 11 and then put this phrase, chiastic structure. You see, buried in the ancient texts in the Bible, there's what's called chiasms all over the scriptures. There's thousands of them. It's an old Jewish literary device that if you recognize it will point you to the middle. When you're pointed to the middle, that's actually the point of the story. You see, this whole story is a chiasm. And the center of the chiasm is Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? As we conclude our time, I'm going to ask that you would please now stand with me. And as we stand together, I'm going to ask that you would bring your communion with you as you stand. Here at City, we invite everyone and anyone to take communion with us. But what we would ask that you would do before you take communion is consider what you're about ready to do. In just a moment, we're going to break bread together. We're going to take the cup and the bread.
when you do that, you will be confessing that this bread represents the body of Jesus, that he was fully human. Then when we hold the cup, it's a confession that you believe that Christ shed blood on the cross is for your sins and for the sins of the world. And so I'd like you to take a moment to consider this. If you have not received communion and you would like to, just raise a hand. We have those that are serving now. Just raise a hand. Just signifying to them that you would like to take communion. And so before we take it, let's take a moment to examine our hearts. Let's hold the bread up before the Lord. Jesus, as we hold up this bread, it's to signify that by faith, we are inviting you into the midst of our lives, into the center of who we are. Jesus, thank you that you are fully God, but also that you're fully human, that you grieved, you wept, you suffered, and you died. We thank you that you did not avoid the sufferings of this world. The Apostle Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, and here's the context. On the night he was betrayed, have you ever been betrayed? Holding this bread, he knows. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you for your broken body. Thank you for what you've done for us. We invite you into our grief our sorrow and for many of us the betrayal of our life we invite you into that place because you know let's eat the bread Paul goes on to write that in the same way after supper Jesus took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood. Thank you for what you did for us through suffering and through death on the cross. Thank you that you've modeled for us that love and death and life, they all go together. Jesus, for those of us that have turtled up in life and determined that we would never hurt again, I pray as we hold this cup that our hearts would be miraculously opened by the power of the Spirit. For those of us stuck in grief, I ask that our hearts would open, would be softened in your presence. Jesus, also as we hold this cup, we thank you that through this cup and through faith in you, what you've done for us on the cross, 
that our sins are not just covered, they're eternally removed from our lives. So thank you. Let's drink the cup together. In a moment, Blake and Lily are going to lead us in worship. After setting your cup down, we can take just a moment to be quiet in God's presence. If you're comfortable, close your eyes. Lift your hands up in front of you. It's a sign of humility, but also a sign of receptivity to the present working of the Spirit. Let's just take a moment to be quiet and to be open to God. 